You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, friends, it's, uh, these last few weeks has just been a, a real honest, sincere joy for us as we continue to get settled in here in the Niagara region and particularly get settled in here with our, our new church family. It's a, a real pleasure for us to, to meet so many of you and to start to get to know you. And you've been so gracious with us and very patient with us as we try to learn names. And uh, so this has just been, these last few weeks have just been a joy. And I just want to express that to you, how grateful we are to you for your kindness to us. And um, I don't know if you've, you've, some of you have had this experience that it's, uh, it's a special thing to meet new people and to get to know new people. But sometimes when you see a familiar face, like someone you've known for a long time, it just brings some refreshment to your soul. And that's sort of how it feels for Leanne and I having Mazin and Natalie here today. And uh, Mazin and Natalie are uh, very precious to us. Uh, We love them deeply. And uh, we were uh, excited that they were willing to come and to lead worship here uh, this weekend. And we were really grateful for the team to come alongside them and work with more strangers, right? Work, work with them. And so uh, we're grateful for that. I don't even know where Mazin is. Oh, there they are over there. And they are newlyweds. They are married. I was there. They did it. Anyway, so thanks for doing that today. And thanks for having them, too. It uh, means a lot to us. Well, the Apostle Paul, how do you account for his success in ministry? You can't, you can't say it's because of his charismatic personality. He told the Corinthians that when he was with them, he was with them in fear and much trembling. You can't say that his success was owing to him being a gifted orator or being a man who had a way with words because he says that others said of his speaking that his speech was of no account. Imagine that a preacher. His speech is of no account. You can't even say that it was just sort of the perfect moment in history for him because to the masses, he said his message was either a stumbling or landed on them as foolishness. How do you account for the success of the Apostle Paul? And he was successful. I mean, when you look at, at history, you can see that, I mean, the, the number of uh, souls saved and churches planted and New Testament books penned, it was a successful ministry. You, you can't even begin to count the number of people he impacted in his lifetime, let alone since his lifetime. So how do you account for that kind of success in ministry? few things that are quite valid to say. Certainly, the work of the Holy Spirit is a big reason for the success of Paul's ministry. The power of the gospel message itself is part of the answer. Definitely, the providential and mighty working of God is a huge part of the reason for Paul's success. But we would be remiss if we also didn't acknowledge the importance and priority of prayer in Paul's life. Paul was, among many things, a man of prayer. He prayed persistently, faithfully, consistently for the people to whom he ministered. And we can see in reading through Paul's letters, we can see that prayer played an important role in his own perseverance, his own faithfulness, his own fruitfulness in ministry. Prayer was a huge part 
of Paul's success. And I mean, that on its own, I think, should speak to us about the importance of prayer. I mean, we can look at Paul's prayer life and say, hey, we should pray too. We should definitely pray as well. But there's something else that I think is important for, to note, for us to notice. Not only did Paul make, a, make prayer a priority, but we should also pay attention to the kinds of things that Paul prayed for. Have you ever, you ever taken note, not only the fact that Paul prayed a lot, but also of what it is that he prayed for? I think that that's just as instructive as his prayer life itself. I find, and maybe you do too, that one of our one of our many hurdles when it comes to prayer, one of the many challenges we have when it comes to praying is knowing what to pray for. You've probably had this experience that's akin to a writer who sits down to, to write something, maybe a, a term paper or a story, and they open up and they, they see that terrible, daunting vision in front of them of the blank page. It's daunting because there's just nothing there yet, and it just feels so overwhelming just to get started. Some of us feel like that in our prayer lives. We know we should pray. There is even, by God's grace, a desire to pray, but we sit down to do it. And, well, by the time we prayed for God to protect us and God to bless us and God to help us with X, Y, and Z, we sort of feel kind of dry and dusty, like, I prayed for that yesterday, and I prayed for that the day before that, and the day before that. Sometimes we can feel kind of uninspired in our praying, not that those things aren't good things to pray for. We should pray for those things. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably have an intuitive sense that there's something more still for us to be praying. And when you read the, the scriptures, and I have in mind today particularly the prayers of the Apostle Paul, you see him praying for things. That's instructive for us, that not only the fact that he prayed, but these are the kinds of things he prayed for, and these are the kinds of things we can and should pray for too. What we have when we read the prayers of the Apostle Paul, and there are many in the New Testament scriptures, we find for us a spirit-given model for praying. In other words, we could open our Bibles and see in the Spirit of God, it's as if the Spirit of God would say, pray for these things. And that's really what I want to do today. Our passage today, I think, does that for us. It sets for us not only a model for praying, but more particularly, shows us something that we can and should pray for. And if we pray this, I think it will make a significant difference, not only in our prayer lives, but in our life lives, the lives that we live and I want you to see that. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1? We're looking at Philippians chapter 1, and our focus today will be verses 9, 10, and 11. We are in a teaching series we are calling To Live is Christ. It's a, uh, just really a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Philippians. And uh, by God's grace, today is our, our third uh, message in this series. And we're actually just sort of coming to the end of the introduction to the book of Philippians. Yes, this series will take us a while, and we'll love every minute of it, I promise. So we're at the end of Paul's introduction, and uh, really what we see in his introduction is, is Paul is really reporting to the Philippians what he's been praying for for them. He starts off by telling them that he's actually, first of all, been thanking God for them, grateful for the evidence of God's grace in their, life, in their lives, particularly their partnership in the gospel with him. Now when we come to the end of this section, verse 9, he shares with them a particular thing that he's been praying for. 
uh, what, what his, his supplication for the Philippians. Let's look and see what it is he prayed. Verse 9, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, so he's like, here's what I'm praying. Now here's why I'm praying this. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What's the day of Christ? His return, right? When Jesus returns. So you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It's a perfect time to preach this in the fall, right? Baskets of fruit. That you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What's Paul's prayer for the Philippians? What is it that we should pray for ourselves, for one another? Well, we should pray for love that grows. Love that grows. Do you see that in verse 9? Paul says, In my prayer, and it is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Some of your Bibles say still more and more. That, that's, that's a fair rendering of this phrase. He's already been talking about evidence of love that exists in the church already. He, remember, he talked back in verse 5 about how grateful he was for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, verse 5. But since the day you were planted until now, 10 or so years later, you've, you've been partners with me in the mission, in the work of proclaiming Christ. And I'm grateful for that. These, Paul has experienced their, their love and seen their love for the Lord, that they've been faithful ministers. And of course, we know too, in the, the context of, of, of the book of Philippians, Paul had been a recipient of their love. Remember, the occasion for this letter is, uh, it has to do with Epaphroditus, who came from the church at Philippi with gifts for Paul. Paul was in prison, and, and they're having to support himself and feed himself. And here comes Epaphroditus from these loving believers in Philippi with gifts and not not only gifts, but his very presence and ministered to Paul and encouraged Paul and supported him. And the occasion of this letter was that Epaphrodite is now going back to his home church and Paul stuck this letter in his pocket and he took it back to them. Paul had experienced love from them and, and, and he, he talked about this, this love that he has, uh, that he has, verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. So much has been said about love already. And then Paul pivots and says, now here's, here's what I pray for you. And here's what you and I can pray for ourselves and for each other, for our children, for our family, for our friends. Pray for love that grows, that abounds more and more. You love already. My prayer is that you would pray more, that your love wouldn't stagnate, that it wouldn't go cold. See, love that's not growing, love that doesn't grow is love that atrophies. He wants them to grow and to keep on loving, to have a love that grows, that you might be, notice how he says more and more, right? So more and more and more, like just keeps on growing in ever-increasing measure. Love for who? 
Well, you notice Paul doesn't really say, does it? Does he? He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. I think many Bible commentators read this and say, well, I, I think it means, it means what comes to your mind? Well, first of all, love for God, right? To love God, to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, to love one another and to, to love your neighbor to, as yourself as Jesus taught us. It's a, it's a love that's growing in increasing measure for, for God, for the saints, even for the lost, what I wonder, want to ask you this morning is, has this happened in your life? When you look at love in your life, is it growing? Is it increasing? Is it abounding more and more? Do you find yourself with deeper and deepening affections for believers? Do you find yourself increasingly in the last year, in the last, oh, I don't know, just a random set of time, the last 18 months, do you find yourself increasing in patience, in kindness, in gentleness. <laughs> what if we asked your spouse or your children? Or if we just sort of pulled up your social media account? What would we see? Deepening, abounding love? Do you, do you, do you find in your life an increasing burden and concern for the lost? Do you find yourself ever increasingly concerned for the hungry, for the homeless, for the persecuted, for the unevangelized millions across the world? Do you find yourself more and more consumed with love for Jesus, a passion to see him high and lifted up? Does your love abound? This is an important question we can see in scripture, like love is, is a big deal, right? Jesus is asked about what's most important, love, that's what he said. It's pretty sobering when you read a passage like Revelation chapter 2, where the Lord Jesus himself addresses the church at Ephesus and basically tells them, you people either need to love or you'll die. In fact, there's, there's a, a pastor who wrote a book, an exposition of Re Revelation 2, and the title of the book is Love or Die. It's serious, serious stuff to call to this, this love issue. Well, we're like, why? Well, I, I want to think I'm abounding in love, or maybe you're thinking, I, I'm not sure that I am. What do I do about it? Well, this text says we should pray about it. Pray about it. And take it to the Lord in prayer that our love would abound more and more. That was, that's what Paul did for the Philippians. Pray, pray for a love that grows. It would be misguided of me to, to, to read this text and then stand before you and say, come on, folks, let's just love. Because that's not terribly effective. Because love is, has to do with your heart. And I, I can't do anything with your heart. I can't do anything with the rest of you either. But certainly not your heart. There's no, like, there's no love button that you're just like, you know, when you know on love, you just sort of push this button. And like, it's not like your lawnmower where you prime the thing to get it going. There's no button. There's no plunger to get love going. It's, it's a spiritual thing. It's a God thing. What Paul knew is that what believers need is a supernatural working of God in our hearts to produce something that ultimately comes from him. And so what is the practical application then in response to this need? He prays. And that's instructive for us. That's, what do I pray for when I sit down in front of the blank screen of my prayer time? Where do I, what do I pray for? Pray this. Pray for love that grows. For love that's growing. 
Also, pray for love that's godly. Notice that emphasis in verse 9. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, so having, that you would have a love that, that's growing. Notice, with knowledge and all discernment. We need to pray for a love that's growing, but we also need to pray for a love that's godly. That's sort of the, the, the word that I've, I've chose that, that I, think, I think binds these two concepts together of knowledge and discernment. The, the kind of love that we're praying for is a love that's shaped by or constrained by knowledge and discernment. Christian love, godly love, is marked by knowledge. The love for which Paul prays is a love that acts according to the knowledge of God. Oftentimes in the New Testament, when Paul speaks of knowledge, he speaks in terms of knowing God, knowing him more fully, knowing him more truly, knowing him. And of course, one of the most important elements by which we grow in our knowledge of God is by feeding upon his word, where he tells us about his mind and his heart and what's, what's true and what's important and what's vital, what's necessary, what's glorious, what's excellent. This knowledge here that Paul speaks of is vital for love, a, a, a knowledge of God, a knowledge of what God has done for us. Of course, knowledge on its own is, is something that we're cautioned about, right? where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 that knowledge on its own puffs up. Knowledge without love, 1 Corinthians 13, is nothing, but Love, if it's to be true love, is to be the kind of love that Paul's talking about, must be informed and shaped by and molded by knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of the truth. You see, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because knowledge does things for us that helps us in our loving. The knowledge of God helps us. Knowledge empowers us to do things like make sacrifices because we know that God promises to supply for us for our needs. So it encourages us to make sacrifices in our love for each other. Knowledge emboldens us to, to give and to serve and to die to self because we know that in Christ, dying is gain. Knowledge enables me to perceive what is truly loving versus what is actually self-serving. See, without knowledge, our love runs the risk of being merely sentimental, superficial, or actually just being to our own liking. When we pray for a love that's godly, we're praying for love that's godly involves here knowledge and also discernment. You see that? He says that your, I, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. So this love is marked by, shaped by knowledge and also discernment. Now, knowledge and discernment go together because discernment is the practical application of knowledge. We know God, we know some things from God's word, and discernment has to do with the application of those things. And these together, this knowledge and this discernment, shape our love. Make it what it is, make it what God wants it to be. Discernment here has, has to do with the ability to see what love is, distinguish from what love isn't. Between a love that's really loving versus a love that's actually just self-serving. Let me give you some examples. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this. He says, love does not delight in evil. Paul had ordered the Corinthians to remove 
a sinful man from their presence. He said, when you gather together on Sunday, you're to kick this guy out. What? Kick this guy out? You, the apostle of love, you're going to tell us without love or just a banging symbol. Doesn't seem very loving, is it? Well, love does not delight in evil. This man was having a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And Paul said, don't associate with him. Don't associate with him. What? Like, like can we not have him come to the Christmas pageant? Not go for coffee? No! Well, that doesn't seem very loving, is it? But see, love is, love is discerning. And Paul knew that in this case, with the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the truth, that this is actually what is loving. Because see, what's unloving is to let somebody just persist in blind folly and sinfulness and fool themselves into thinking they really know God, when actually they just go to church on their way to hell. That's not loving. You see, this is the discernment that Paul's talking about. Knowledge with all discernment. Paul says, Roman, or 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices with the truth. So that's why we need to correct and even rebuke and call out doctrinal heresy. Because it's not loving to let things just pass in the church as truthful that aren't true. See, the world says, what does the world tell us? See it on the t-shirts. Love is love. That's the world tells us. Love cannot have parameters. Love is whatever you say it is. And whatever I say it is. And get your biblical Christianity out of here. Because it's not loving. Love is love, the world says. But Paul says that love, accords, that love accords with knowledge and is guided by discernment. And without that knowledge and discernment, you confuse what you say is love for real love. The world says... Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, so the, so the world says... Sorry, they're reading something here in my notes. Yeah, what the world says is loving may not be loving at all. That's, that's what it says. That's that. What the world says is loving may not be loving at all. What we're called to do is to love according to God's mind and heart and truth. So that's why I say... That's why Paul says, pray for love that may abound more and more. Pray that your love may abound more and more for a love that's growing, a love that grows. And also... A love that not only grows, but a love that's godly, that's marked by shape, by knowledge and discernment. So we got to pray for this. What do I pray for? Pray for, here's what you can pray for today, this week. Pray for it every day this week. God, give to me a love that, that grows and a love that's growing, that's not shrinking, but it's growing for you and for my church family and, and for my lost neighbors and, and for a world that's, that doesn't know Jesus. And Lord, help my love to grow. I don't want it to shrink. Help my love to grow, Lord God. Work in my heart to, to change me because on my own, I can't do that. You could pray that. Think, think about what life that might bring to your praying this week. And pray for a love that's godly. Lord, give me, give me a love that is shaped and conformed to the knowledge of you. And that's wise and discerning what's loving and what's not loving. Pray for that. And Paul, that's what Paul prayed for. Now, at this point in the message, we could just say, just close up our Bibles and let's, right, let's call up the team, have the closing song, and, and we're done. But we're not done because Paul's not done. 
And in the text here, he not only says what to pray for, but he says why. Well, what, he, he gives us here the, you know, pray for this, some instruction, but then he shows us the reasons he has in mind, the goal that he has in view, and that comes to us in verse 10. So he gets done saying what to pray for, and then he says, verse 10, so that, so pray for this, this love that's growing, this love that's godly, so that, verse 10, you may approve what is excellent and, sh- and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Godly growing love enables us to do three things. And here Paul is saying, here's, here's why you should pray this. Because there's three things that as we, as we have a love that's growing, a love that's godly, it will enable us to do at least three things. First of all, growing and godly love enables us to discern what's best. To discern what's best. <clears throat> Sorry, I just have to say this because it just came to my mind. The music you hear... It took me a while before I realized it's actually from the Harvest Kids ministry downstairs. I thought it was cars going by. Yeah, like people, you know, like people just like the kind of car just like, you know, buy the stereo and you could have the car. I thought it was that kind of thing going by. And then it was just like last week. So I was like, no, 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 that's the kids ministry. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> I wanted to say that. I also wanted to say too, this is, sorry, this is totally, just totally a, a uh, way off topic, but I wanted to say too that thank you to Chris for, for putting this ring on the bottom of my Stanley Cup here. Uh, my first Sunday here preaching, I said, I complained about this being too short. A week later, did you notice it wasn't short anymore? Did you notice that? Now that's love. All right, back on topic here. What was I talking about? Growing in godly love enables us to discern what's best. Notice that word approve. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. To approve means to examine or to assess something. Actually, it's interesting, in Luke 14, verse 9, this word is used in relation to examining oxen to see if it's a good buy or not. I'm checking out this animal to see if it's a good purchase. It's, it's, I'm, I'm examining this, I'm weighing this. Weighing, for what purpose? Well, to, in order to understand or to choose what is excellent or what's choice, or what's, what's best. In fact, if you have an NIV, it, it renders it that way. Discern what's best. New American Standard, that we could discover the things that are excellent. What's Paul saying here? Well, I think what he's saying is that in order to determine what's best, or what's choice, or what's excellent, something has to happen in us. And that is that we need to grow, we need to be a growing and abounding in love. Without love, we won't rightly choose what's best in life, in a given situation. This, this love that God gives us, that God cultivates us, enables us to differentiate between what would be good to say here or what would be best to say here. What would be okay in my response to this person, but what would be God-honoring in response to this person? You see, love enables us to differentiate, to discern that, to evaluate, to assess, to see, and to act accordingly. It's, it's a kind of discernment that we desperately need in life because throughout our week, there are countless thousands of situations that you will encounter that the Bible does not specifically address. What do I do here? 
How do I apply the scriptures in this situation? As we grow in love, what Paul's saying here is that you'll be able to approve or to discern or to choose what's best. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Remember, um, I think it was last week I was telling you about buying the, well, my dad buying, <laughs> buying the, the ring for my wife. If you weren't, you weren't here, when he got engaged, this whole story last week about my dad giving me money so I could buy Leanne's engagement ring when we got married. And it wasn't very romantic of me to just, you know, I mean, to not have paid my dad back, first of all, probably. And then also to, but it was nice of my dad. Anyway, so remember that? Well, before we bought that ring, before we bought that ring, I, we were looking at another ring. And, um, you know, I'm looking at this ring, and it's shiny, and it's got a diamond in it, and it says something about carrots on it, whatever they are. And I'm looking at that, and really, really, my, my main concern is how much will it cost, and how much will she like it? That's, that's really sort of it. So we were thinking about buying this ring, and we had a picture of it, and um, I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't, I don't know anything about jewelry, nothing. And so we found someone that we knew who was a jeweler and showed him the picture of this ring and the price tag and asked him for his input. You, think, you say, well, why didn't you just go to him in the first place? We did end up buying for him, but just don't wreck my illustration with your objections. <laughs> We asked him to assess this piece of jewelry, and he and his son, who are both jewelers, are looking at this picture, and they started talking together, and they're like, Ross, here's the deal. For what they're selling you here, this is about the, the maximum somebody could ever, ever charge you for this ring. In other words, this is not a very good deal. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because it's an example of the fact that here we have a situation where somebody had the capacity to rightly evaluate and to assess what was before him that I didn't have. To me, <clears throat> looks shiny, looks pretty, she likes it. To him, he saw true quality, true value. Growing in godly love increases our capacity to discern what's best, gives to us abilities we don't have on our own See, life's choices are so varied and discerning what's best in your relationships, in your finances, is so nuanced that the only thing that will really work in life is not a list, but a new heart, a love. So how do we manage our money? Are we better to, to give this or to save this? Well, love will help us to discern that. How do I deal with this relationship? Is it best to limit my time with them? It might be. That might be the loving thing to do. How do you know? As you grow in a, with a heart of love that's, that's a, a growing and godly love, you begin to know and discern what's best. When do I pull back or when do I lean in? When do I say something and when do I just... It's this heart, this heart of love that helps us to know what's best. I like how Don Carson puts it. I like how Don Carson puts everything, just so you know, but this is how he puts it. He says, mere statutes, mere case law cannot possibly cover all the cases of life. Consider, for example, our use of time. Each of us has 24 hours a day to spend, but each of us needs different amounts of sleep. We vary in our ability to concentrate, and each one varies in that particular balance of time, rest, experience. Two, as the Bible says, redeem the time because the days are evil, may signal quite different things to different Christians. 
both in the number of hours they invest and in the ways they invest them. The call to use time wisely may suggest to activist Christians that they slow down and learn to intercede with God. To reflective, meditative Christians, it may become a challenge to active evangelism or work among the poor. How should, how should the time reserved for relaxation be used? The mature Christian may relax by memorizing scripture, reading a Puritan classic, or pursuing a fresh commentary on Isaiah. But would a Christian necessarily be less mature if he or she picked a whodunit to read? Would one want to say that less mature Christians have actually fallen into sin just because they do not use leisure time quite so profoundly? Do you see what he's saying? Life is too complicated for a list of rules. What's the answer? Carson says, prayer cuts through this tangle. Pray for a growing godly love because it will give to you discernment for life to know what's best. Some of you have got a situation right now in front of you and it's almost impossible to know what's best. You take, a, you take a survey and everybody gives you a different answer. How are you gonna know? Pray for wisdom. But even at a deeper level, to pray for love. Growing godly love that you would be equipped with capacities to assess and discern and to choose what's best, what's most loving toward God, what would be most loving for my family, for my church family, for my neighbor. Growing godly love enables us to discern what's best. That's the first thing it enables. Second, growing godly love enables us to do what's right to discern what's best, and then to do what's right. Again, verse 10, he prays this prayer so that you may approve what is excellent, and so, as a result, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Growing godly love enables us to do what's right. If you are pure and blameless, what are you? You're, you're holy. You're sanctified. Walking in holiness. Being in conduct, who you are in position in Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness means your life is producing the things that God wants you to produce. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I want you to notice this. Doing... In other words, being pure and blameless. See that again? So you may be, so that you may be pure, so, and so be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. This doing is not owing to us. There's effort, there's doing, but it doesn't originate with us. It comes from where? It comes from Christ, right? You see that verse 11? Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see what Paul's saying here? He's saying, pray for love, pray for love that grows Pray for love that's godly, and as that happens, your life is going to bear fruit. You'll be pure and blameless, and blameless, bearing fruit. You'll be a holy, godly person living for Jesus, and the, what's happening in your life, what's coming out of your mouth, what's coming out of your actions, isn't from you. It's from the Lord who's working it in you to making you more loving of him, more loving of your neighbor, more loving of your church family. You see, he's talking about an inner transformation that results in a life change. 
That's why we pray for love. That we actually be Christians. See, Christ died not only so our sins could be forgiven, and that, but he did do that, praise God. But also so that we can be in a life-changing relationship with God, indwelt by the Spirit, given a new heart that desires things that the flesh doesn't naturally desire, but are put there by God, transformed from the inside out. Our doing is not owing to us, but to Christ. Our holiness, our fruitfulness, is a result of this growing godly love. And notice, if it's love, then what we're doing is, we're not doing it because we have to, but we're doing it because we want to. This is the glorious freedom of the Christian life. People will say, and you've probably heard this, will say stuff like, yeah, I tried the Christian thing, but I just couldn't keep up. That's not Christianity. Christianity is being in a relationship with God whereby he does things in us. And the change isn't just merely by our effort. Yes, there's effort, but it's not because of our effort. It's not because we just chose to be different, because God is at work in us. Growing in godly love enables us to do what's right, and the doing is what we want to do. So why are you serving your church, Christian? Because I want to. I love her. I love him. Why are you living your life this way? Because I love God. I, just, I love him. See, that's what's happening, and that's why we pray this. Growing godly love enables us, enables us to... Um, sorry, to discern what's best, to do what's right. Thirdly, finally, growing in godly love enables us to delight ourselves in God. Notice how the passage ends here, this, this section. My prayer, verse 9, is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we live in anticipation of the end, not dreading the end, in anticipation of the end. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is expression of delight. It, it's not a, a statement that, say, that is detached like, to the praise and glory of God. But to the praise, to the glory and the praise of God, there's, there's an expression of delight here, of joy here. Like, this is actually what we're really after. Because we love God. Growing in godly love enables us to delight ourselves in God. As we bear fruit, discerning what's best, as we do what's right, God gets the glory because ultimately the desire to do it and the power to do it come from him. And what thrills our souls in the doing, in the loving, is God. Because we marvel at his grace to us, his, his power. And as we love one another, what we see is we see something of God at work. And we see refractions of his glory. And that does something to us. We, it makes us happier in him. You see? It's, it's delight. It's maximizing joy. Let me try to untangle this. 
we praise the things that we enjoy, don't we? That's why, that's why people take pictures of their steak dinner and put it on Facebook. Because you're just like, look what I'm eating. Because there's just something in you that's just like, I've got, this is so good, I've got to tell everybody. We, we praise the things that we enjoy. You watch a movie, you're like, oh, this was a great movie. You listen to a song, oh, this is such a great song. And you can't help but asking others to join in too, right? Isn't she beautiful? Isn't that breathtaking? C.S. Lewis observed these things, reflecting on the subject of praise and noted that we praise the things that we enjoy and our praising not only expresses our joy, but completes it. Part of the enjoyment of the steak dinner is expressing how good it is and inviting others to agree, oh, that looks great. Part of the joy of watching a great movie is telling others about it. In fact, you kind of feel ripped off if you got nobody in your life to tell those things to. That's one of the savage realities of loneliness, is you have experiences that are wonderful and you, you got nobody to share them with. Growing godly love enables us to delight ourselves in God. What we're seeing here is not a throwaway line at the end of this text that says, to the glory and praise of God, but rather an expression of joy in God because the goal of Paul's prayer is our increased gladness in him. So what you have here at the end of this verse is the ultimate reason why we should pray for our love to grow because as it does, you will find greater satisfaction, greater happiness, greater pleasure in God. And that's the ultimate goal here. We'll see him and experience and observe his transforming power. We'll see the greatness of his grace and our happiness goes up in him. Do you see the difference that prayer can make? In fact, just, just think about it. What might happen in your life, loved one, if you prayed this prayer this week? Lord God, as best as I understand this, I'm asking you, please, Lord, that my love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. What might happen in your life if you prayed that prayer this week? Let's take it a step further. What might happen in this church if not only you prayed this, but I pray this too, and the people around you start praying this, that our love would abound more and more? I wonder if we might see ourselves further enabled with greater capacities to discern what's best, to do what's right, and to delight in God. What if you and I prayed this prayer for ourselves? What might happen if we also started to pray it for each other? Maybe the people in your small group, or you say, I don't have one of those yet, yet. then pray for the person sitting next to you. And what might happen in this church? We just might be a church whose joy in God goes through the roof and who sees 
more and more transformation, maybe even more than we ever thought possible. What was the key to success of the Apostle Paul's ministry? Well, what's the key to success in any ministry? It's God. So loved ones, let's settle it in our hearts today that our progress in life and as a church depends on him. And let's show it in going to him in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, it is my prayer that in me and in the saints at Harvest Niagara that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment for our increased joy in you, for the praise of the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.